This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Hello, I'm Libby Snymer. It's the height of the holiday season, and for most of us, that means spend, spend, spend on gifts, entertaining, and also for charity. We have it all covered today. Greg Thompson and Patrick Johnston, two leading experts on the nonprofit world, will tell us how to make sure our charitable dollars go as far as they can. I'll also be joined by Zoomer Magazine's thrift columnist, Jane McDougall. She has rules for regifting, among other tips. And Canada's only master sommelier, John Zabo, will drop by with his wine recommendations for Christmas dinner and New Year's Eve. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. He was a controversial and celebrated author, essayist, and pundit. Christopher Hitchens died Friday at the age of 62 of esophageal cancer. He wrote award-winning essays titled Tumor Town on living with the aggressive, deadly cancer. But he was best known as a passionate advocate of secularism. His book, God Is Not Great, became a bestseller. I'm very sorry to say that if I ask any audience anywhere, can you think of a wicked action performed or a wicked thing said uh, in the name of faith, no one has any difficulty in coming up with an example. Hitchens made similar arguments when he was here in Toronto last year for the Monk debate with Tony Blair. He argued against the idea that religion is a force for good in the world, and he won the debate handily. Another noteworthy passage, just short of her 113th birthday, Canada's oldest woman, Sumying Feng, passed away in Vancouver. Feng was born in Guangdong, China in 1899. The great-great-grandmother was very active in her older years, taking a trip around the world when she was in her 90s. Here in Ontario, we're still paying for the fallout from the e-health scandal. Well, now many British taxpayers have the same frustration. They'll have to pay a further £2 billion towards the failed National Health Service IT database project. The £11.4 billion program, that's over 18 billion Canadian dollars, was set up in 2002. At the time, it was hailed as the world's biggest civilian computerization project and aimed to give doctors instant access to patient records. Computer Sciences Corporation, the American company hired to build the database, has so far failed to deliver a fully operational system. Here's a sad statistic. The sex lives of older Canadians are below average, according to a recent global survey done for Eli Lilly, a big pharmaceutical company. It says Canadian Zoomers aged 46 to 60 are having sex 1.35 times per week, ranking ninth out of 13 countries and below the global average of 1.41 times per week. The number one barrier to sex for most respondents? Tiredness and fatigue. Here's what I want to know. What exactly is the 0.35 time a week, and how does it compare to the 0.41 time the others are supposedly getting? And finally, many of us will remember Elizabeth Taylor's gorgeous and famous jewelry. Well, it's still making headlines around the world. 
the star's prized collection of diamonds, necklaces, pearls, rings, rubies, and a tiara were auctioned off at Christie's in New York for a record-setting $115 million. Part of the proceeds will go to the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation, which she established in 1991. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It's crunch time for holiday shoppers, which means this is the time when the temptation to blow the budget will be greatest. That's the problem with leaving things until the last minute. But there is an alternative to piling on debt. Joining me now is Jane McDougall, Zoomer Magazine's thrift columnist and a blogger at WNSquared.com. Hi, Jane. Hi, Libby. What advice do you have for people who still have a lot of people to get presents for, and if they go to the mall, they'll just be willy-nilly spending money just to get it done? People get desperate, and you do tend to jettison all reason at this point in the season, I think. Even, even someone who has planned carefully will find themselves going, oh, man, I need four more things, and that's when the budget goes crazy. Myself, yesterday, I almost bought a $90 toy for a nephew just so I could get out of the mall because I was literally buying it so I would have something. And then I, I did what I recommend people do, which is get out of the store. I mean, there's, there's going to be more of this stuff on the racks almost always, right? Just take a break. The message is leave the store and just try to think about the person. Well, I actually think that a couple of things you can do is, and this works like a hot dam, carry one of your credit card statements in your purse. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've got the cards, but we don't have the statements. So when you go to reach inside, when you see that thing sort of glaring out at you, it's a reminder <laughs> that there's no free ride. Another thing is get a piece of cardstock and write the thing that you're most after in your life, your big objective. Write down, you know, the house, education, the trip, whatever. Write it down so it's there on cardstock, sticking in with your dollar bills, higher than the dollar bills, so it's there as a reminder as well. Something that'll talk some sense into you at the very last minute. Those things work. You know, I also think there's nothing wrong with uh, re-gifting. I was going to ask you about that. What is the etiquette of regifting. My theory is is that there's a conspiracy against regifting and this conspiracy is generated by the retail industry. They would have you believe that they must broker any and all deals between the giver and the recipient. I think that's nonsense. Now, if someone has given me something that I have no use for, that doesn't mean it has no value. It just means it was the wrong gift for me. Why should it not be assigned on to someone else who might actually want it? Here's something I'm doing this year. Someone gave me a beautiful Costa Boda bowl. I still have it in the box. I looked at it and thought, well, it's gorgeous, but what am I going to do with it? So I bought a big bag of a particular candy that I know that my sister-in-law likes. She's getting the bowl with the big bag of candy. You know, it doesn't have to be presented as this was given to me, I didn't want it, so I'm giving it to you. If it's perfect for someone else, it's perfect for someone else. It doesn't need someone to broker that decision for you. So... I think those are all really, really useful things, and we should really think about doing them before we head out to hit the stores. Okay, thank you so much, Jane. Nice talking to you. My pleasure. Bye, Libby. Bye-bye. You can find more of Jane's tips at wnsquare.com. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. When you give your money to charity, do you know how far your dollar actually goes? In a moment, I'll be joined by two experts who will tell us what questions you should ask before making any year-end donations. 
You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. The holiday spirit and the looming tax deadline. Those are the reasons many of us are making charitable donations now. And Zoomers are the people who do the most giving. StatsCan says the average age of donors is 53, and donations are rebounding after a two-year drop. That's great news. But do you know enough about the causes you support and how your money is spent? Patrick Johnston has served as chief executive for several nonprofits, including the Canadian Centre for Philanthropy. He's now a consultant. And Greg Thompson is director of research for Charity Intelligence Canada, a nonprofit that analyzes charities and advises donors. Tis the season for giving. Patrick and Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you to, for having us here. Tell us, what are the things that we should take into account before we decide to make a donation? Canadians are generous. We do open up our wallets and we give with our hearts, and that's, a, that's certainly a wonderful thing. Uh, what we at Charity Intelligence want people to do is to give a bit more with their heads. And what that means is just to ask a few questions of the charities that you're thinking of donating to about where the money's going and what impact that money is having. If a friend asks you to donate for a certain purpose, do it. Uh, for, for friendship's sake, do it. Uh, but when it comes to having an impact with your donation, if you're giving $50 or if you're giving $1,000, you want that money to go as far as possible. Specifically, what are the questions? Well, at Charity Intelligence, the first question that we ask for is just to see their audited financial statements. And you don't even have to be able to read them. It's just a question of are they willing to easily share them with you? Uh, And then I would ask them, what is the impact of the work? There's a big distinction between what charities do and then the impact that they have. But the key question to ask is how are you actually changing their lives? What, What is different because of the charity's programs? So if they donate money to cancer research... If they donate money to cancer research, what has happened? And and in something like cancer research, it's far more difficult to get a sense of. And you have to look over a course of years and sometimes decades to see results. We still want money for cancer research. Patrick, what are some of the questions you think that people should ask? Frankly, I would lead with a question about what impact are you trying to have or do you think you're, you're having as opposed to financial information because, frankly, you can look at it, you can get a, a great set of financial uh, statements from an organization that actually is having no impact at all. There are relatively few activities in the charitable sector where it's very, very easy to, to demonstrate that as a result of X donation and your role, X, Y, Z has happened. Greg, a lot is made of the numbers for fundraising costs and administrative costs. You hear different explanations of what those should be, and some people say they shouldn't always be low. Administrative costs are costs that are absolutely required to to maintain programs, to allow programs to run. And so if an organization has 1% administrative costs, I would worry that their programs are probably not, not effective. I believe the Canada Revenue Agency says the fundraising costs should not be higher than 30%. Is that right? They suggest a kind of a range, and I think uh, anything over that, um, I think, would probably uh, – they're suggesting you should pay a little, a little closer attention. They, they don't sort of give you a fixed number in terms of what it should or shouldn't be because every organization is different. And at different stages in the organization, it may be actually appropriate if you're just beginning a big fundraising campaign. You may in that year or two have a little higher fundraising cost. There's no hard and fast number. If we see fundraising costs in the 10, 15% range, I don't bat an eye. If I see a number in the 30, 40, 50% range, I want to know why. And if they have included something like uh, lotteries and the expenses of lotteries in their ratio, that's going to skew things. 
the important thing for your listeners to understand and the public generally speaking is that it does actually cost money to raise money. But I do hear comments from individual members of the public that are frankly quite naive in assuming that there should be no overhead, there should be no administration, there shouldn't be any costs, people should be doing all this for free. Well, That's I not mean, the world we live in. Frankly, there are more and less efficient ways of fundraising. And in fact, some of those big galas are the least efficient way of raising funds. Well, uh, they, the, the, you, you may, they may serve other purposes, and that's yeah. fine, and the public needs to know that. One that's just finished, Movember is for, for Prostate Canada, where the guys grew mustaches. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was particularly brilliant because mm -hmm. there's not a lot of cost involved in mm -hmm. growing a mustache. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, Movember has been incredibly successful. I mean, they, they went from uh, nowhere just three years ago to, I believe this year, they raised $35 million. They did. They've tapped into something wonderful. And so it's, it's a success story. And so I mean, my question with them going forward is how is Prostate Cancer Canada going to use the money uh, that they've now raised? They've got probably $50 million sitting in the, in the bank with waiting to be used, which is a wonderful position to be in. Uh, but I would love to see Movember Canada spread the wealth a bit next year, if it's at all possible. Are you serious that you think Prostate Cancer Canada should gift some of that money? Last year, they did have over $20 million that they didn't grant out or use. And so the question going forward is, you know, now they've got another $35 million, how are they going to use that money? I think it's important, though, for the, your listeners to understand that there is also a bit of the fundraising activity that is a bit like a, a popularity contest. And there has been research done that indicates that in terms of the total amount of funds raised in support of cancer research of all kinds, that the total amounts don't necessarily line up with where the real needs are. The medical profession would say, listen, you know, here are where the, the, these areas of, of research relating to cancer X, Y, or Z are really, really underfunded. And this is where we could actually make some progress. But, um, you know, there's a whole range of other cancers that have become more popular because a corporation has decided to brand it. And so the public, I think, needs to think about uh, if, if they have an interest in whatever kind of cause it is. Are they supporting the one where the need is greatest and their dollar actually may have much, much more impact, their donated dollar? Or are they just sort of chasing the, the cause that happens for the moment to be most popular simply because there's lots of other people doing that? We put together a report on cancer in Canada earlier this year and, uh, and found pancreatic cancer being one of the four very underfunded cancers in Canada and around the world. Canadians, if they want to give to help you know, have the most impact in the, in the area of cancer research. Uh, think about which type of cancer you're giving to and you know, absolutely don't just follow the herd where the money's going. Back to the popularity contest. So a lot of it is you hit a chord with something like Movember mm -hmm. or you buy a lot of advertising, which is very, very costly, or what? Uh, it's tends to be a very kind of emotional decision. People are attracted to a particular cause because it really does grab them. People would be motivated because of there's some an illness or a disease that they've experienced themselves or someone in their family has experienced. And that's what causes them to give in the first instance because they have a, a real direct connection to that. Continue to give with your heart. I mean, that, that is something that we do well. But uh, use a bit more of your head in the giving decision as well. Okay. Patrick Johnston, Greg Thompson, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. For more information on the best ways to donate your money, go to charityintelligence.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Have you thought about what wine to serve with Christmas dinner and at New Year's? After the break, I'll get the top picks from Canada's only master sommelier, John Zabo.
You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Well, it is exactly one week until Christmas Day and two weeks until New Year's, and I bet most of us have our menus set, but there's always the question of what to drink. So with me, I have John Zabo, Master Sommelier and wine writer. John, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Okay, we work to our first deadline. What are some good wines to have with the turkey? Well, here's where my approach might differ a little bit from the the typical sommelier approach in that I don't like to pick one specific wine to go with the meal, but rather since it's a festive occasion and the family's all there and you're gathered around the table, why not bring out two or three or even four different wines all at once, put them on the table and let your friends and family have at it and, and mix and match around a little bit. If you think about it, there are so many different flavors on the table at once. You've got, of course, your traditional turkey, perhaps, but it may be with cranberry sauce. Everyone's stuffing recipe is a little different. There's the sweet potato pie. There are sweet, savory, salty elements all across the table, and your plate is filled. And when you're eating all of these things at once, uh, I like to just have a couple of glasses in front of me, quite honestly. And uh, I'll generally select wines that are pretty versatile. So that means fresh, crisp whites for the most part with uh, lots of vibrant acidity and smooth, softer reds that are not too big and and astringent and and tannic that will overwhelm any food. So, for example, uh, this year, probably on my table, I'm going to have some Riesling, local Riesling from Chateau de Charme, 2008 old vine Riesling, which is just an, an amazing wine for the price at sixteen ninety five, and currently at the LCBO. And that is a, is a wine that's going to match with a wide range of things on the table. If you're looking for something uh, red, round, rich, and smooth, and satisfying on a, on a cold Christmas Eve, how about uh, something from the Rhone Valley, 2009 Pierre Amadieu Domaine du Grand Romain Cuvée Prestige Gigondas. That's a mouthful of a wine and in all ways. And this is you know satisfying, rich, full-bodied. And, uh, and this is, uh, I think, what you could carry on into perhaps the cheese course after the main uh, meal is finished. How much is it? And that one is twenty-seven ninety-five. So a bit of a splurge. It's it's a splurge, but it is the holiday time after all. So uh, why not treat yourself and your your guests and family to something a little special? Sounds good. Okay, so let us then move on to New Year's Eve. Really, it doesn't take a master sommelier to to go to the LCBO and pick out a great sixty or seventy dollar bottle of champagne. There are plenty to choose from, but I'd like to recommend something just a little bit different. Uh, and this is a discovery I've made really in the last year or so. It's a whole category of champagnes called grower champagnes. Now, this may sound strange, but uh, many of the big houses don't actually own vineyards. They buy in their grapes and then they process them and turn them into champagne. But there's a growing faction of small producers growing their own grapes, transforming them into wine and then turning them into champagne. And uh, since their economies of scale are a little bit different, they can produce really great quality wines at generally more fair prices because they don't have the massive marketing budgets behind. So, uh, I mean, we'll we'll post all of these on the website, but wines, for example, like the... uh, uh, Champagne La Herte Blanc de Blanc Brut Nature at $55, uh, I think, is, is equal to many wines at, uh, if not twice the price, certainly considerably more than that. Also at the LCBO is a vintage champagne from another small grower called Dumont et Fils. It's a Brut Millésime 2004. And again, at $55, $54.95, uh, you're spending all of your money on what's inside the bottle as opposed to the 
package. Okay. On that note, we'll wrap it up. John Zabo, thanks so much for joining us, and happy holidays. (laughs) Thank you, Libby. Happy holidays to you. You can find a complete listing of John's recommendations at zoomerradio.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. There's a big treat coming up at Roy Thompson Hall, if you were lucky enough to get tickets. The Canadian tenor's two Christmas shows on December 22nd and 23rd sold out very quickly. These performances come at the end of a huge year for the group. The Canadian tenors sat down with the new AM 740's John Van Driel to talk about the highlights of their skyrocketing careers. When you look back on the, the past couple of years, are there specific highlights that you have? Certainly, I think you know many people out there will know that we, we had an amazing opportunity to perform uh, on the Oprah Winfrey show. And uh, during that show, we were surprised by Celine Dion. And uh, that, right. was, that was an amazing experience. You know, in that same week, we performed at the opening ceremonies of the Olympics in Vancouver. Um, NBA and, and the NBA game. All-Star Game, we sang for 108,000 people down there doing so. the, uh, the anthem. So, you know, that was uh, quite, a, quite a packed uh, week for us. And uh, it, it made sort of a, a great, I think, awareness for, for the American audience. Uh, you know, Canada has been very devoted to us. We have a couple platinum records and one that's uh, actually our Christmas records now on the verge of double platinum, which we're thrilled about. Um, and, you know, we're just really looking to take the success that we've had in Canada internationally now. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child. That was the Canadian tenors singing Silent Night, a song that will no doubt be part of their holiday concerts this Thursday and Friday at Roy Thompson Hall. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. We'll be off next Sunday, so I'll end by wishing you and your loved ones a very happy holiday. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.